Welcome to the Contraception Pod. I'm Maya and I'm the Catholic. I'm Cassidy and I'm the Protestant. At a gala at Trump Hotel, never meeting each other prior, Cassidy quietly came up to me in the bathroom and said, What are your thoughts on contraception? This question turned into a never-ending discussion that we decided to take on a podcast. So join us as we discuss contraception and how it affects our world. Hi guys, we're glad to have you today on this episode of the Contraception Pod. Maya and I are so thankful and glad to have our friend Morgan Reese back joining us on the podcast. Hi Morgan! Hello! We're so glad that you're here with us. Today we're going to have a really important conversation about the topic of overpopulation. So Morgan, I'm guessing all our listeners have heard the claim that our world is massively overpopulated to the point that we're going to just fall straight off the earth or we're not going to have enough land and resources and food to go around to feed people. Now, this is the reason why there are people starving in developing countries is because we are an overpopulated world. What would you say to those claims? And do you find that it's based in research that, in fact, this is an overpopulated country and world? So the fertility rate is actually dropping in a lot of countries. So in almost half of the world's countries, 83 of them to be exact, they are under replacement rate. And replacement rate is actually defined as being 2.1 births per woman. I thought it would just be like straight up two, Um, but it's actually just, it's 2.1 births per woman. And so 83 of these countries are not even hitting that. And so of those 83 countries, one quarter have a birth rate that is close to replacement rate. It is between 1.8 and 2.1. And then the other three quarters have really low fertility rates, uh, which is considered below 1.8 births per woman. And then just to clarify for anyone who might be a little bit confused, generally people call this the fertility rate, which I find strange. I think they should just call it the birth rate because while this can be in part a fertility issue, most of it is people just choosing not to have children. So you know, fertility plays a role, but it's really just like the amount of children being born, not like how easily women can conceive. So really, we just mean the birth rate. Mm-hmm. And so just to go over some of the fertility rates. So primarily, the fertility rates are low in East Asia, Southern Europe, German speaking countries in Western Europe, and then all the former socialist countries of Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, according to the website I'm looking at right now, it says mm-hmm. IF. S, but it actually just what a really interesting point for. all the former socialist countries <laughs> yeah because like they're still they're still recovering from that um so yeah then they break it down like by area east asia americas europe formerly socialist central and eastern european countries um so i'll just go over a few of these so in east asia in japan the birth rate is 1.5, in China, 1.6, South Korea, 1.3, Taiwan, 1.2, Hong Kong, 1.3, Singapore, 1.3. So all those are very low. And then in the Americas, a little bit better, but not by much. Puerto Rico, 1.5, Canada, 1.6, Brazil, 1.7, Chile, 1.8, Costa Rica, 1.8, Cuba, 1.7. And then looking at a few European countries, uh, Italy, 1.5, Spain, 1.4, Portugal 1.3, Greece 1.3, um, and then we'll do a couple of like the formerly socialist countries, Poland 1.3, Romania 1.5, Ukraine 1.6, and then Serbia 1.6. So all of these um, have pretty so, low fertility rates. Yeah. And just for our listeners, just to talk, what is a replacement rate? Why is it so important that countries mm-hmm. have replacement rates? The reason for that yeah. is that within the next five to 10 years, those countries will be in economic crisis because there won't be people to replace the jobs 
of mm-hmm. the jobs that are already there. So the industry will die. The industry mm-hmm. and the economic industry will crash because there won't be enough people to fulfill the jobs to replace job, you know, job replacement to mm-hmm. to have a a a functioning country. So they're going to be in trouble. And this is also an issue within industrial age and et cetera. But just wanted to point that out, like why replacement rates are so important for countries because for a country to fall below replacement rate is detrimental to the country and to the country also being able to protect itself in war and any of that Mm -hmm. in health, um, be able to provide enough food to have enough farmers to produce enough food to feed people Mm -hmm. to um, and and that's why it's so important. It's um, it's it's pretty darn important important y'all and what was it like I was reading uh, reading an article on this a while ago but it was like like a hundred years ago the replacement rate was like six something and we have just dropped dramatically yeah so the fertility rate yeah a hundred years ago easily six maybe more even in the 1950s it was still five and so we've fallen from five to about 1.5 1.8 in a lot of countries Um, So yeah, it is astronomically dropped because of the usage and legalization and popularity of contraception as well as sterilization. So I also wanted to go over when we hit like the different amounts of billions, um, just so that people can see like how much it jumped because like also they break it down by yearly change in terms of percentage, like is it going up by 2%? Is it going up by like, you know, how many percentages? So in case anyone's curious, the world hit 1 billion in 1804. We hit 2 billion in 1927. We hit 3 billion in 1960, 4 billion in 1975, or no, sorry, 1974, 5 billion in 1987, 6 billion in 1999, 7 billion in 2011. And then we just hit 8 billion three weeks ago, um, like exactly three weeks ago. And so then it breaks it down by yearly change. So if we go all the way back to the earliest, it has a percentage for is 1951. So in 1951, the yearly change was 1.88%. And so that stays around the same range for like the next couple of decades. And so it actually hits its peak in 1968 and 1969. Both of those years were 2.09%. Um, and so then from there, so like, the U.S. had legalized contraception throughout the entire country in 1965. So in 1968 and 1969, we are looking at like the highest it's ever going to get because like the contraceptive mentality is like just beginning to seep into our country. It was only, you know, three, four years um, or sorry. Um, yeah, three, four years after contraception was legalized. So like the contraceptive mentality had not like fully sunken in. Yeah, we were just getting to that. So from there, from 1968 and 1969, the fertility rate really starts to drop. So even though the world population is still overall increasing, the yearly change steadily drops. And now we are at 1.05%. That is astronomically lower than we started. It was at 1.8, hit a high of 2.09, and it has fallen all the way down to one05 in 2020 and then we're still waiting on stats for 2021 but yeah it has fallen to half of what it was and to go along with that like just to emphasize anyone listening like we should be going up if they're like if in 1969 there was like four billion people it should be faster than what it took to Mm -hmm. get from 1969 to 1976 or whatever the number was it should be faster because there's more people in the world there's no reason at all that we should be dropping um and and Mm -hmm. morgan i think you said this already but i can't remember what Mm -hmm. is the replacement rate what does it have to be minimum for economic 
Um, yeah. So it actually has to be 2.1, not just two. I think that's because like some people, you know, die young. And so like we need people to like, replace the jobs when they're adults. Cause like actually when you're not meeting replacement rate, you actually have to start upping the retirement age because of the jobs will need to be filled by someone. And so if it's not being filled by young people who are being born, then the old people who want to retire just still have to keep working. So like, you know, someone's got to be the plumber. Someone's got to be the grocery worker. Like we got to keep people in these jobs. And, and so, you know, We have to and did up the you retirement already age. say, did you already say what the replacement rate of the USA is at? Uh, in the U.S., no, I haven't mentioned that. It's 1.7, which is even lower than I thought. Although I guess it had been like a couple is of it years 1. since 7? I checked. So it's 1.7. I, I thought it was 2.1. I thought we were at it, but I guess we, that was like when I first researched this three years ago. So I guess it's 1.7. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we were like right at replacement rate, like two, just a few years ago. But we've dropped even significantly in the last few years. So we're 1.7 now. Mm -hmm. And that's just so surprising to see those changes. Morgan, would you go like with us on kind of like a, mm -hmm. a bit of a historical journey or whatever mm -hmm. would be helpful to our listeners to make sense of why is this population rate changing? What's going on out there in the culture and history? Yeah. So kind of going back to what I was saying about in 1965, when birth control was legalized in the U.S. So that was Griswold v. Connecticut. So this man named Griswold was challenging a Connecticut law that was prohibiting contraception. He said that we need it. Um, a lot of times this also gets tied up in people wanting to prevent birth defects, people, quote unquote, wanting to prevent suffering or potential suffering. And so they say, you know, women need this. And so then women start contracepting. And then we form this culture of thinking that children are um, just like these burdens that are like cluttering our world. And so... And then, like, obviously, we have like more extreme examples of people just being antinatalists, which if you don't know what that is, it is someone who believes it is ethically wrong to produce children, any amount of children. It is wrong to even just have one. And so they literally claim that children are viruses and parasites. And they claim that sex was not designed for reproduction, but for fun. Literally, it says that on their website, sex was not designed for reproduction, but for fun, which is ridiculous. Like, even if you don't like the design, to claim that it is not even like the intention um it's just absurd it's like saying that our legs weren't designed for walking or that our brains weren't designed for thinking like no that's quite literally what it was made for I mean like of course like you can also get fun out of it like you can get fun from walking you can get fun from running you can get fun from thinking but like the point of the legs is to walk the point of the brain is to think um and so like of course one purpose of sex is to reproduce that is literally the design and so when we create these this hysteria surrounding quote unquote overpopulation, people start to think like, oh my gosh, like I've start contracepting or I have to get sterilized because you know we're ruining our world. The carbon footprint is going up. What is my carbon footprint? What what even is a carbon footprint? Um, and yeah. so I just yeah. want to point out as you say that actually two very famous individuals we have yeah. Megan Miley Megan Markle is that her name and Prince Harry yeah. have announced yeah. that they are only having two children. And they announced several years ago back when they had only one child and they were applauded by the world for wow. their incredible decision not to, you know, overpopulate the world more or to do that for the environment. And what are your thoughts about that, Morgan? Do you think that's a good idea and that people in general should make that commitment to only have two kids to save the environment? So generally people will say that people are starving because the world's overpopulated. Like we don't have enough resources to go around. But actually, if you look at anyone who or if you look like to anyone who has like more information on this, who works in agricultural um, 
who just like is in agricultural work, they will tell you that actually we have plenty of food. We just don't have the distribution means to distribute it properly. And actually poverty rates have gone down uh, proportionally as the population has gone up. So like I can pull up more exact statistics on here, but we were talking about this in my environmental ethics class last year because my professor directly, uh, he had brought up the idea of overpopulation many, many times. Like he constantly tried to say like the reason we're in this environmental crisis is because there's, there's too many people. And he kept asking us this question of why doesn't the U.S. have a child policy limit? He never even posed the question of, like, should we? It was always, like, why don't we already? Um, and he was trying to say that it's because, like, people are just too selfish to limit the amount of children that they have. Um, and he directly said in class, you should be a responsible citizen and take birth control. He directly said that in class. Yeah. Oh my um, and so, yeah, he just kept asking us, like, why don't we already have a child policy limit? Um, and so then I brought up in my discussion board post how having more children actually reduces the poverty rate because when you have more people in the world, you have more room for innovation. You have more people bouncing ideas off of each other. And like, I have an idea for this invention. You have like the part that completes it. We both have skills that are needed for this design to take place. And so actually we do have enough food, but if we had, you know, even more people for innovation for like how to distribute it, like we could reduce the poverty rate even lower. So like with there being 8 billion people in the world, we have come up with ways to like, produce enough food. We just now need more people to come up with the ideas for distribution. So the po the poverty rate, um, if I remember correctly, when we were only like in the 1950s, the poverty rate worldwide was like 50%. Now it is about 15%. So I got to go back and look at these exact stats. But yeah, it has fallen significantly as we've risen by like 4 billion more people. Um, well, actually, really, since we've risen by 6 billion more people. And so, yeah, poverty rates have dropped significantly as we have more innovation and collaboration. Wow. And so to add to that, like, let's pose this question to our listeners. You know, does starvation go down when you don't have when, when, when you don't have the people to when you don't have the people to replace um, when you don't have the people to replace um and distribute, right? So like the starvation go down when there's overpopulation or when there's underpopulation, you know? And obviously we are not overpopulated, clearly. Um, but second of all, after, I mean, having this discussion we have, but the starvation, like, will we be more likely to have starvation in a society where there are no replacements for people in our jobs? And the answer to that is yes, because if there's no one to replace the jobs and to produce food for countries that aren't even posed to starvation, then then for the people who aren't don't even know how to produce food or who don't even know how to you know like farm or anything like where they're going to lack food like it would be me like if united states if we don't have the people to produce enough food for our country and i don't know how to grow food like and make it and you know have that in my home then my family is going to begin starving right and and that's you know that so that's just a really good point of like of like, you know, we actually are at more risk, I think, I believe of starvation, not having replacement and not having replacement rates and not and and killing off all our children, basically, um, when we would have right now, I mean, just think about it, like just abortion in the US alone, we'd have 60 million more people, you know, um, but also, you know, of course, there's so many children who have been lost to silent abortions, because of contraception, right? Um, and why is my ringer on? Um, but there's so many children that have been lost to, you know, silent abortions because of contraception, um, because, you know, the contraceptive bill is, is a pill is a 
an abortive patient, right? And so like, we have to think about that when we take telling people, well, oh, you know, I'm on birth control because I, um, because I believe in overpopulation, or, you know, or something like that. And our country is going to not thrive. But actually, our country is going to die. And so many countries are going to die, and are going to fall into economic peril, because we don't have replacement rates, you know, so that's a really good point. And so I couldn't find the same stats that I was looking at before, but I did find this one that said since 1990, more than 1.2 billion people have risen out of extreme poverty. That's normally the stats that you see. It's about who is rising out of extreme poverty, not just poverty in general. And so now if you look at the total amount of people who are living in extreme poverty, it is 689 million people throughout the world. Uh, and that is defined as living on less than a dollar ninety a day, a dollar and ninety cents per day. Um, keep in mind, like inflation rates are different. Like in the United States, obviously you need more than a dollar ninety a day, but in certain countries in the world, that wouldn't be as detrimental. Obviously, it's still considered extreme poverty, but things are just a lot cheaper, you know, like in Africa than it is in the United States mm -hmm. or other first world countries. Um, and so, proportionally, six hundred and eighty nine million people out of eight billion is like ten percent. Well, actually, not even ten percent. Yeah, that's not even 10%. Whereas even like in 1950-ish, um, if I remember remembering correctly, the extreme poverty rate used to be like 40 to 50%. And so I'm going to continue looking for those to see if I can find it exactly. But yeah, it used to be astronomically higher just even a few decades ago. So kind of as we're continuing this conversation, just to ask a question, which to some of our listeners might seem like an odd question, but in the abortion debate, there is the question brought up is overpopulation, let's say that overpopulation was indeed something proved by data. Um, if that was true, is overpopulation resolved by abortion, would you say, Morgan? So it is definitely not resolved by abortion. Because I mean, like, well, like, if your goal was really just to reduce the amount of people in the world, then like, yeah, killing them off would technically solve the problem. But like, it's not a moral solution to do that. I mean, like, you could also say, like, well, the world's overpopulated, we should just start killing people off after they're born, like, we should just start killing off elderly people, which, you know, is also another issue. People are constantly trying to expand euthanasia and assisted suicide, especially in Canada. Um, last I checked, euthanasia is now the sixth leading cause of death in Canada, Wow, which is insane. I mean, that it even cracks the top 10. But they've been pushing it so hard in advertisements. There's just a commercial that aired the other day from like, a pretty famous Canadian clothing company where they featured this woman who, you know, appeared healthy. I'm sure she was doing euthanasia more for like a mental health reason than anything else. But she was talking about her, how there's so much beauty in the world and she wants to be able to appreciate it and see it and how she does appreciate it and see it even as she's making the decision to end her life. So it was a very confusing, like subliminal message that they're trying to push that like you can somehow, you know, love life and see the beauty in it and everything yet want to die which just makes no sense. Like you, you love your life yet you want to end it. Like that's just, it's a complete contradiction. It didn't even make sense. Like they, they do it to confuse people. And so, yeah, that's the kind of advertising you're seeing a lot in Canada. And that's why their euthanasia rate is so high. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and it's so, so yeah. that we, you know, just that our culture has come to that place of believing abortion or euthanasia could be a solution that if overpopulation truly existed, if we all put ourselves in that mindset for a moment that we are thinking of, if we believed that, that overpopulation truly was happening, 
you know, even if that was the case, the solution could never be to kill or to take a human life, you know, to kill a baby or to kill an older person or someone with mental health problems or to kill someone who has a terminal disease, you know, none of those would be ethical solutions to having a lot of people in the world. And so, and the data you've shown us, Morgan, and talked to us about has shown us that not only is overpopulation not a problem, but we're actually going into a place where there are going to be some economic problems, you know, and this shows in so many different industries too, where people are managers of jobs are desperate to find people to hire um, and to do good work, but there aren't enough workers. And so we definitely know that there are issues from the economic side of it. And just our world has changed a lot and families Mm -hmm. rather if it's, um, if it's beliefs and the desire to use more contraception that's led to it, there may also be Mm -hmm. some biological factors. I know I've heard that for men, men's fertility has significantly declined in the last, oh, like, yeah. I don't know, 50 to 100 years. Do you have, like, thoughts about that or insights about how men's yeah. fertility has impacted the population? Right so now? there is this doctor named Dr. Shanna Swan, who's basically her whole life research is about the sperm counts dropping. She actually has a book called Countdown, which is just about the sperm rates dropping like the last 50 years. And she actually has a prediction that by the year 2050, sperm rates or sperm counts will hit zero. And so I'm not normally like a doomsday approach kind of person, but there is a part of me that thinks that is right because men's sperm counts have already dropped by 50% just in the last uh, like 50 years. And so she expects them to continue like exponentially dropping. So like if it took us 50 years to go down by 50% and it's just like exponentially dropping from there, she thinks in just like, you know, 25 more years, it will hit zero. And this is primarily because of endocrine disruptors in the water, which I know really messes with women's hormones, like estrogen and progesterone, but it also messes with men's hormones, like it messes with their testosterone, which then yeah. affects sperm production. And just in case listeners haven't heard the one of the other recordings with Morgan, we talked about IVF a little bit in a previous episode, and we talked about birth control and how that impacts different things in our world. Can you explain how those um, the, those hormones get into something that the men would be taking. Cause of course it doesn't sound like men would intentionally try to like drink or take an estrogen or, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So when women take birth control, that is filled with synthetic estrogen known as estradiol and then synthetic progesterone known as progestin. And because you're flooding your body with like so many extra hormones, you end up peeing them out. It's like you pee out this synthetic hormonal residue. Um, it's kind of like when you take too many vitamins, you end up peeing out the vitamins. Like if you have an excessive amount of like something in your body and your body's trying to flush it out, so you end up just peeing it out. Uh, and that goes into our water supply and then we all drink it. So for women that causes fertility issues, it pushes back their ovulation. So it's causing a late luteal phase defect, um, which in turn can sometimes even because it's like also messing with your lining, it can even cause miscarriages because you're just really throwing off your hormones. Like hormonal imbalances can cause miscarriages uh, as well as infertility. And so for men, if that's throwing off their hormones, for them, it's primarily affecting testosterone, which then directly impacts their sperm count. And so, you know, they're consuming basically too many synthetic, what's primarily female hormones, like progestin and estrogen. Those are synthetic versions of female hormones. So that is suppressing their testosterone, it's suppressing their sperm production. So that's what has caused the drop in sperm counts. Wow. So really, it sounds to me like they're kind of just a lot of different factors going into Mm -hmm. why there is a decrease in our population numbers. And, you know, it's just so interesting to think about that, especially it being in this generation where all all three of us ladies are like right around the same age. We're in a generation where it's, you know, ideologically, people don't want to have families or at least don't want to have a big family. Mm -hmm. So really, it's like, 
at God's mercy that we're here, that, you know, we get to exist in a world that thinks having children is evil, awful, and that, um, as your professor said, that to be a responsible mm-hmm. citizen, you should just be contracepting and never have a child, basically, yeah. you know, or have very limited numbers. Um, so I'm curious about, you know, thinking about the different things like antinatalism and just mm-hmm. stuff that's been in the news recently. You mentioned to me mm-hmm. that you have heard this whole stop having kids thing. Will you explain that? Because I'm not sure everybody yeah. knows that there is direct promotion in our culture to have zero children. Yeah. So I was reading about this on Live Action's website. There is an organization based in Portland, Oregon, that is now putting up huge billboards. And the organization is simply called Stop Having Kids. And so I'm going to read to you a few of their posters. Um, They say the world doesn't need you to continue your bloodline, genetics or family name as if it's like prideful to want that as if it's like, you know, selfish, like, you know, wants one to carry on your family name they say the world is too backwards to move forward with having kids it's like they basically completely lack hope that children could change the world they lack this hope that we could rise above our circumstances that someone could be an innovator that someone actually could change the world for the better they've just completely Mm -hmm. lost hope that like good is coming Mm -hmm. um someone said having kids is far beyond a personal choice so you know what's funny is that like people who are more liberal generally say like everything should be a personal choice like morality Mm -hmm. is subjective everything's relative like you should just be able to do whatever you want but then they want to take away your, your choice to have children just say no like it's selfish for anyone to have children like you want to have kids no you shouldn't be allowed i'm like what happened to personal choice what happened to my body my choice that mm-hmm. suddenly goes out the window because really there are some people obviously not everyone who's liberal thinks this way but some people who are really really far left who are antinatalists think that no one should even be allowed to have kids like we should all just get sterilized no one should have any more kids just let our population completely go extinct Mm-hmm. Um, and then some people will say, stop dumping our problems onto future generations. That's another sign. So, well, I definitely think that like family trauma is a thing. Like parents pass on trauma to their kids. We pass it on to our kids and so, so on and so forth. That's not a reason to just not live. Like, of course we have trauma and no one likes trauma. I'm not trying to like glamorize struggles or trauma, but suffering can absolutely be redemptive. I've seen it in my own life. I'm sure really everyone has stories about how suffering has been redemptive. So like suffering is not a reason to just not reproduce or not live yourself. Um, so yes, like they point out there are almost 500 kids or sorry, almost 500,000 kids in the U.S. foster care system. That's actually dropped quite a bit. So really closer to 400,000. I was just reading stats on this today. It's 407,000. Actually, it has gone down three consecutive years now. Mm -hmm. Um, so it used to be 437,000 and it's dropped to 407,000 just in the last three years. We've gone down 30,000. I think that's pretty significant, but anyway, um, so yeah, of course there's suffering in our foster care system, in our adoption system, but that's not a reason to just say like we, we should all just be dead, that we should just not reproduce anymore. And they will say the breeding is just a horrible thing in and of itself. They directly call children viruses and bacteria that is on their website. It's in their tweets. It is on their billboards. It's on their posters. Like they directly say children are viruses and a bacteria consuming all the resources available and moving on. So first of all, we are all consuming resources. Like it's not just children, like adults do. We consume resources. Mm -hmm. And even the way they like to elevate plants and animals and act like, oh, you know, like they're these perfectly natural beings that like are meant to be here. They also consume resources Like we all have to eat. And so, you know, regardless of how much you think like the deer should be here and how much the bear should be here, I'm not like objecting to the animals being here, but to act like they're just these angels and we're like these devils who are like coming after them and their habitats and their environment is ridiculous because we all consume lots of resources. We all need food uh, and we all need shelter and water and everything. Mm -hmm. And so, um, 
it says right here, there's this Canadian teacher who founded the birth strike movement and is directly quoted saying having children is a crime against humanity. And so there are certain people generally like uh, climate change activists, environmental activists who have these petitions that you can sign online and sometimes they'll go around in person asking people, will you pledge to never have children? Will you sign this petition saying that you're never going to have kids? Sometimes like, they'll ask you to get sterilized or something, but a lot of times they're just asking you, like, you know, whatever you want to do, whether it's contracepting or sterilizing, um, will you pledge to not have kids? And they, they get quite a few signatures when they do this, when they go to like environmental rallies and like they are talking to like-minded people, there are a lot of people who sign the pledge. Wow. And so this is why we have, you know, fertility rates that are so low, almost half the world is below replacement rate. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, 50 years ago, it says here that according to a Yale global report, just 50 years ago, only six countries had fertility rates below replacement level, only six out of about 196. And now we're up to 83 out of 196. So, I mean, it has ex ex exponentially increased in just 50 years. Mm hmm. Wow. And that's, you pointed out so many important things too, Morgan, you know, people not certain there's any meaning in suffering and that if suffering exists, if people will go through pain and hurt and heartache, that means that life is ultimately meaningless, you know? And it's just sad because even though it's true that you may, we all suffer ultimately, we all go through something so difficult and painful in life. I was just reading this new book called Stuck by Justina Van Manen, which I'm reading for, to like grow my pro-life apologetics. And this quote, kind of helped me understand suffering more. It says, to draw an analogy, a man's suffering is similar to the behavior of gas. If certain quantity of gas is pumped into an empty chamber, it will fill the chamber completely and evenly, no matter how big the chamber. Thus, suffering completely fills the human soul and conscious mind, no matter whether the suffering is great or little. Therefore, the size of human suffering is absolutely relative. And that's Viktor Frankl. So just something interesting to think about that even if we suffer in small ways, it does make a big impact on us. And But the, mm -hmm. then we have to think beyond just that immediate like, okay, I'm hurting. This is hard. Rather, if it's physical suffering or mental health or, you know, maybe a tragedy you've been through, you know, what is the meaning in our suffering? Ultimately, mm -hmm. as Christians, we know what gives our lives meaning in the midst of our losses is knowing Christ, like having a personal relationship with Jesus who has laid his life down and taken his place for us and knowing that what we experience in this world is not all there is you know that one day we're going to have e an eternity with god in heaven that's going to be completely void of fear of pain of tears and suffering is going to be 100 percent no more that we are approaching that day getting closer to that each day and that god is redeeming our suffering and working in that and so mm -hmm. there is you know like maya has said in several of our episodes recently like god brings beauty from the ashes and that's true in our lives and our stories and things we've gone through um you're taking a different tangent on this you know we've talked about why people are against having kids you know how suffering and pain makes people sometimes take an anti-natalist view of like you know what the world's too evil for kids on the flip side sometimes people say like well we would like the world population to grow, but there aren't the resources that families need in order to have the kids they want to. So something I'd love to ask you about, Morgan, is do you believe from your research and from what you've seen um, that social services are able to increase fertility? So, for example, in countries where they have programs of like paid maternity leave and things like that, do we see higher fertility rates there? So I would say it at least helps a little bit if you're incentivizing children financially, offering paid maternity leave for years, or you give like a certain stipend, like a tax cut for that. And there are a lot of European countries that will pay you quite a bit, quite a bit of money for having a child like Germany, 
um, the UK, Ireland, Denmark, France, especially. I know France does like three years of paid maternity leave. Um, and they give you quite a bit of money. Yeah, they give you a large stipend. I don't know what that would be in dollars. Like all this is listed in euros. But yeah, I know France especially is is good about offering a lot of money in maternity leave. Um, but like ultimately, we wouldn't even need that stuff if we just had a pro-children, pro-family culture. Like people resort to government when the society and the culture fail us. Like ultimately, the government is not going to fix everything either. Um, and so I think that, yeah, offering things like paid maternity leave is helping. And I think that paid maternity leave um, can be a good thing. Um, and obviously, like the U.S. has a lot of issues with that. Like there are some women who can't get like any time off mm -hmm. of work. Um, and so, yeah, I think we definitely could benefit from paid maternity leave, but like, ultimately that's not the biggest issue. Um, the really big issue is just that like so many people are judging you when you have children, quote unquote, too young, or when you're like getting like a little bit, quote unquote, too old, people are like, no, 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 there's like this perfect window of fertility between like 25 and 30, and you should have like one or two kids. It doesn't ruin your career. And so even when there's like a little bit of a financial incentive, it's not like the government's paying for the whole kid, right? Because like, the children are expensive. So like, you know, this thousand dollar stipend that the government is giving you these couple of years off of work after they're born, that doesn't cover the child's whole life. You know, like you can't raise a child off of a couple thousand dollars in like a year off of work. Um, like this needs to be a lifelong commitment. And when people in your life are against you, like not willing to help you like raise your five or six kids, um, it, it's just really hard to make that change because it like, gets a lifelong change. It's a lifelong sacrifice. And if people aren't willing to like, um, help you through that struggle, then ultimately you're not going to be really incentivized to, to have that many kids. Wow. Yeah. And we're kind of almost out of town here. Time we always mm -hmm. have like a minute and a half left, but Morgan, if you could give us a brief ideal, what would you say would create good community and good culture for families so that mm -hmm. moms and dads feel supported and that when they're wanting to have many kids, they do feel like they have the community mm -hmm. and resources they need. What do you recommend for that? Um, I would definitely recommend always being very excited at pregnancy announcements. I can't tell you how many times, like, especially online, people will react like, really a fourth one like what is your carbon footprint at this point like haven't you ever heard of birth control like why don't you use that always be super super supportive of pregnancy announcements be like overly excited I don't care if it's their 10th child I <laughs> want you to be excited I'm excited uh, the other thing is you know offer to babysit people's kids um we definitely child care is so expensive like especially in the U.S. a lot of the first world countries have really expensive child care and so yeah definitely offer to babysit where you can especially like if they're friends of yours offer to take their kids for a while um and then like just other ways to be supportive after women give birth like you know bringing them meals bringing them some sort of gift like to just say like you did such an incredible selfless act and like I want to show that I support you so yeah just like gifts babysitting um things of that nature those are awesome suggestions Morgan and thank you so much for helping to fill us in today so that we understand the issue of overpopulation or really underpopulation better really? mm -hmm. yeah. The data and facts you shared have helped us so much. And Maya, do you want to end us off? Yeah, thank you all for listening. And remember, it's so important to build up that community to support families and children in our society. Thank you all for listening and give us a listen next week.